Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me again today. Um, this is Brenda, and welcome to the Best Practices in HR podcast series. So I am excited to have you guys here. If this is your first time listening, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, this show is intended to provide you a significant amount of resources, information, perspective, point of view, and knowledge on how you manage the HR function. And if you are a continued listener, thank you so much, really, for coming back time and time again. I really do appreciate it. Uh, Trust me, it doesn't go unnoticed, and I am just excited that you guys are here. So today we're going to talk about, um, we're going to get some poster updates for you guys. We haven't done that for a little bit. We've got some employment law changes across the nation. We've got an awesome segment today on how to work with your insurance broker with an actual broker, an individual that I've worked with for several years. She's pretty fantastic and she's smart and she's going to really kind of go, go explain to you how you can really maximize Uh, your efforts working with your broker. I've got some announcements. We've got, of course, the HR question of the day. And then I'm going to tell you how you can get best practice delivered to your inbox. But before we go forward, I just want to share with you guys that the information available through this podcast is, in fact, for informational purposes and not for the purpose of providing any kind of legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue. If you do not have an employment attorney, you may contact me, and I may be able to refer one to you through our affiliates program and connect you with our friends over at Jackson Lewis. Okay, so exciting stuff here. We haven't done poster updates for a little while, so I am going to give you some updates here. So if you are in the following states, there has been a poster update since either July 1st or August 1st. Um, So Colorado, Georgia, Indiana, Nevada, South Dakota, Arkansas, Missouri, and Virginia. I'm going to repeat those again, Colorado, Georgia, Indiana, Nevada, South Dakota, Arkansas, Missouri, and Virginia. If you are operating in any of those states, these states have had poster updates, and we can give you a contact uh, where you can get those updates. I can even tell you how to get them at a reduced price, but what you won't get is you won't get a lot of threatening or scary marketing material. I can't stand that stuff, so we have partnered up with our friends over at Labor Law Compliance Center. Um, If you go to their website, if you go to bestpractices.org, click on the affiliates link up at the top, scroll down to where you see Labor Law Compliance Center, click that link, and enter the code POSTERS2019 when you go to checkout, and you'll be able to receive 25% off from your purchase. And then that's how you tell them that I sent you. So if you have any questions, by all means, go ahead and reach out to them and get them squared away, and you guys will be up and compliant in no time. 
Okay, so updates from across the nation. We have seen the Department of Labor release some guidance on non-discretionary bonuses for specifically non-exempt employees. And, you know, bonuses are always one of those things that pops up and people have a lot of questions about them. Can I give them? How do I give them? Can I just give them to anybody? Well, the DOL has now provided some additional information for you guys on what you can do in regards specifically to non-exempt employees, which honestly are going to be between your exempt and your non-exempt employees, your non-exempt are going to be your higher risk. So USCIS is in the process of actually updating the I-9 form, which has an expiration date that's coming out. So it, we've seen this before in the past when updates have been made to the I-9 form, and what has happened is that the form itself has an expiration date listed on it. And sometimes USCIS gets hung up and they don't get the update out prior to or around the time of the expiration date. So if that's the case, they are issuing some guidance to go ahead and continue to use the I-9 form that is presently in place right now until the new form is released. So we don't have an exact date on that yet, but it is coming down the pike. So uh, heads up on that one. Um, over in California, you guys have an update. So under wage order number five, duty meal periods must be at least 30 minutes in length. So if you guys are working in California and you are managing duty meal periods, make sure that you get some updated information on what exactly you're required under wage order number five. Over in Colorado, the labor agencies have proposed revisions to the wage rule that includes a bar on vacation forfeiture. Now, this is brand new. We haven't really seen a lot of this. Some states have um, stipulations in their laws already as to what an employer can do or cannot do with accrued and unused PTO or vacation time. Uh, North Carolina is an example of that where if you don't have it stated in your handbook that you are not going to pay it out upon separation, then you are required to pay it out. So, um, so this is something new that's coming down uh, the pike as well. Over in Illinois, um, there is a new law that requires corporations to report diversity on the actual corporate boards. So if you are over in Illinois, definitely check that out as well. In Bernalillo County, New Mexico, there is a new paid uh, leave for any reason law that is taking place. So make sure that you guys are on top of that if you are in that area. And that actually will also involve mandatory P, uh, PTO trends in that particular uh, location. Over in New York, uh, there is a revision to the employment protections for domestic violence victims, and there is an addition specifically to accommodations and what the obligations are surrounding that. Also, New York strengthens their sexual harassment uh, protections and enacts other new employment laws. So again, you know, we saw midterm action coming down and it is currently in place. So if you guys are in those areas, please make sure that you get either with your current employment attorney for those updates or you work with the department of your local department of workforce and find out what it is that you need to do. Okay, folks, so I am here with Kim Fetzer from Town Benefits out in Virginia Beach. She is a benefits broker, uh, somebody that I've worked with for quite a while. I've got a tremendous amount of respect for. Um, we have been through fire together. <laughs> and Made and it out alive. I know we made it out alive. 
and she's an awesome lady. So, Kim, welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you? Great, Brenda. Thank you very much. Oh, awesome. Well, thanks for jumping on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, it's a pleasure to be working with you again, and I'm, I'm very excited to see you and your new endeavors and um, look forward to working together. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. I know. We got we got a new client together, so we're excited. We're like, we're back. We're back in the saddle again together. <laughs> they won't know what hit them. <laughs> exactly. They will be well taken care of, for sure. Right, exactly. That is so funny. So, um, so folks, this is the first of a two-part series because we are getting into what is kind of known as benefit season. And typically, most businesses start and stop a plan at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year. So this becomes, this is literally Kim's busy time because she's actually out there doing a lot of negotiations. She's trying to get rates and things like that. We're going to talk about some of this stuff. But so this episode, we're going to talk about how to work with your insurance broker. We're going to give you some tricks to the trade. But then the next episode, which you have to stay tuned, is we're going to actually talk about benefits renewal planning. And, uh, you know, she and I have gone through some things together. We've definitely had some our share of hard lessons along the way, but is you know, gained us a lot of knowledge and has definitely gained us quite a bit of experience. So as we're progressing together on a project um, moving forward, it gives us an opportunity to look back and think through, like, okay, what we did, what we didn't do, and get an opportunity to share the important things with you guys to help you become more effective in your efforts. So you get to learn from our adventures, so to speak. So a lot of people, Kim, don't, especially in the small business arena, and and unless they have been in the benefits administration role, which I'll be honest with you guys, my first 15 years of being in HR, I didn't want to have anything to do with benefits. I actually completely pushed it off as much as I possibly can until I got to a point where I had to understand this stuff. And and it was some of it was hard lesson, but it really wasn't that difficult at the same time. So what what exactly does a broker do for a business? So well I will have to tell you your comment about people pushing it off and not wanting to work with <laughs> benefits is a common problem. Um <laughs> and that's why I have a job. Yes, so I'm very happy about that, too. So what a broker does is a broker is your trusted advisor in the benefited arena. So our our basic job is to act on behalf of your our clients, which are employers, um, and advise on the best plan and cost options for both employee and employer. Mm-hmm. So we watch out. Um, there's a difference between an insurance broker and an insurance agent. An insurance agent um, is, say, a state farm agent, an all-state agent, and they typically represent one carrier. I'm an insurance broker, which means that I'm appointed with several carriers, and it's my due diligence to go out to each of these carriers and come back to my client with the best solution. And so that's what makes us different than just an insurance agent. And we do this for all lines of coverage. So we do it for medical, dental, vision, life, disability, you know, a number of different things. So very enjoyable. <laughs> Got it. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the other things that we do on behalf of our client is, as I just mentioned, we do go out and we solicit proposals from multiple carriers. 
Um, and then once we get all those back, we take a look at them and we negotiate not only with the carrier that we got the, the proposal from, but in between carriers. So if the incumbent carrier comes back with maybe a 10% renewal increase and another carrier comes back with maybe a 3% increase, we can go back to that incumbent carrier and say, hey, you know, um, this group may switch just because they're receiving a very similar plan um, for less money, which is not only going to help their bottom line, but it's also going to help out their employees. So we like to, I kind of, you know me, I like to get in the middle. I like to, you know, go back and forth and do, do that negotiation on behalf of my client, and, um, and I enjoy that. Um, one of the other things that we provide, um, with the passing of the Affordable Care Act, uh, compliance and legislation has become a very big deal. I'm mm -hmm. actually part of, um, I'm an officer in the Eastern Virginia Health Underwriters Association, or VAHU, and this is a group that gets together, and we actually went to Richmond. We go to Richmond every year. We go to D.C. every year, and there's actually a national conference but I had the opportunity to go to Richmond and lobby on behalf of my beliefs. So one of them was an HSA um, with legislation that had to do with an HSA, which was passed, and then the other one had to do with um, sole proprietors as an employer. So I also like to get involved in the legislative side of the business. I really enjoy that. I mean, you have all of these acronyms, ERISA, ACA, COBRA, FSA, SDD, you name it, there's a lot of different things that go on behind a benefit plan, and there has to be that foundation before you can start deducting, you know, premiums or actually have a plan. So mm -hmm. my company, Town Benefits, actually has all of those departments housed under one roof. So it's very easy for us to go across the hallway or make a phone call um, to get all of this compliance done. Now, I want to point something out. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I want to point something out. So what you're talking about is actually pretty crucial. And in my experience, not all brokers have what you guys have. And so some brokers will have um, resources that they can tap into where they can do somewhat of what you guys do, but a good broker will have exactly what Kim is actually describing they'll have individuals <clears throat> to where in, in their own infrastructure they offer a suite of services versus outsourcing these services to third-party administrators so that they are taken care of. So there's a very distinct difference in this industry when you're getting into benefits. And if you guys are shopping for a broker, that's a really important question to ask. And that would be how do you handle, <clears throat> how do you handle compliance and how do you handle updates? Now, some brokers will tell you that, you know, well, we have an HRIS system that we provide, and it comes out of pocket. And I know, Kim, you've heard of these companies, too. And then they say, but we'll charge you for, you know, COBRA administration when you get to the required number of people. But they won't necessarily tell you if there's state continuation as well. So, um so there's a lot of little pieces that add up to a very big picture with a broker. But one question to always ask your broker is these the suite of services between ERISA, ACA, COBRA, FSA, um, you know, putting together your POP 125, putting together your uh, SPDs, and even an HRA um, or HSA, the question mm -hmm. is how do you as a brokerage firm manage these things? 
that is a very critical question. If they start telling you, similar to what Tim was saying, that we have these in-house, we have individuals, I can, you know, call anybody in my office or walk down the hall versus, well, we have a third-party administrator that does this. And the reason why I'm calling this out is that from an HR standpoint is that it's one thing to have a direct relationship. Like if Kim and I are working on something together, I can call Kim and say, hey, listen, I need this. And she's the intermediary in her company to get help me either to the person or get what I need and get back to me as the employer. If you have a company and they have a third-party administrator and they're processing claims or they're helping you to do something, which some of these guys do, now you've got an entire different group of people that are outside of the span of control of the broker, and everybody's now waiting on somebody else. So it can get a little complicated. Absolutely, absolutely. So it is nice that we do have all of that housed under one roof. And, you know, again, with the passing of the Affordable Care Act, compliance has become such a large part of what we do. We're not, you know, here's your renewal, you know, do you want to renew or not? No. There are carrier changes, there are legislative changes, different, Mm -hmm. you know, compliance, and we actually have a person, a vice president of compliance that does just that. She is well-versed in the Affordable Care Act and just about anything else, and she's very helpful. So there are obviously things that I don't know, and so it's nice to have a teammate and, you know, a coworker that I can go to, you know, I can instant message, call, or walk downstairs and get that information. I don't have to call out of state. I don't have to call another, a third party. It's all right here. Yeah. And not to mention, what we're talking about here, just in compliance and legislative updates, these things, this is just scratching the surface. There are literally, there's, what, 15 different notifications that have to actually be part of a benefits package that goes out to the employees or made available that includes things like, you know, women and cancer. I mean, it's just, it's a, a litany of these things. It is. And one of the, the benefits that we offer is we build a website specifically for each client. Um, all of their benefit information is out there, whether mm-hmm. it's medical, dental, vision. Um, but we also have a compliance section that allows um, employers to post this, share this information with everyone. And there is an electronic signature. So if for some reason they were to get audited, they can pull a report from our system and show exactly who is logged in and it's timestamped. Right. So that makes it very convenient in case, you know, like I said, if there was an audit, mm-hmm. um, but all of the information is right there. It's one-stop shopping. And then from, you know, even from here, you can go to online enrollment. So if we make it, we try to make it easy because employers are busy doing what they do. Um, and we, you know, open enrollment is a crazy busy time of year, and so we like to minimize the time that employees have taken out of their day or on their weekends or in the evening to go through the open enrollment process. But it is the one time of year we're able to get in front of groups and let them know that this information is out there and where to find it exactly. Right, exactly. So there's also other types of compliance pieces that need to go in place. So one of the things that Kim was kind of going in that direction with that didn't really call it out yet, which I'm going to do instead, (laughs) you also have to get a sign-off from employees on how they prefer to receive their benefits and notifications. And so um, it's one of two options. Most brokers should have this notification, but you actually have to ask for it. It's not something that I've seen voluntarily provided. 
it's kind of one of those things is tricks to the trade that you have to know about this. Um, and then if you are, you know, moving everything to a digital format, that's great. But you also have to make sure that you understand what your state requires for a POP 125, which is the pre-tax document, if it's required for a particular state. So if you don't know to ask these kinds of questions, then, um, you know, get <laughs> pick up the phone and call because, um, you know, we can definitely help you get kind of some alignment as to what it is. If you've never done anything like this before um, or if you've been doing it and none of these things ring a bell, that's part of the reason why we're doing this episode um, and we're doing this in a two-part format because the compliance side of this is very big. And, you know, some people would probably say, well, HR is always risk adverse. Well, we're not risk adverse. We're just in preparation for it. <laughs> we're right. preparing for it all the time because our business is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when something's going to, you know, go sideways. So, right. so you know, your your broker is should be should be an individual that you can count on to help you make sure that you're meeting compliance. And if they're not, that's not a that you could probably find someone better. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but really, truly, I mean, you and I have been doing this for a while now that, you know, it really truly is a partnership. I mean, you and I have a seat at the table together. Right. As, as I mentioned, we want to be the trusted advisor. We right. want to be able to be the person that an employer goes to or you go to to say, all right, do I have a Section 125 in place? Do I have all of my – what? I need this particular document, where do I find it? And I simply give them, you know, a website, a login, and a password, and it's right there. And they're like, oh, I forgot it was there. And it's there the whole time, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. Anytime someone needs it, it's there, which makes, you know, it takes a lot of the weight of compliance off the employer when they know that we have their back and that it's all posted out there for them. Right. So, so there's a lot to the compliance side on it. I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, you gave this a shout, uh, a shout out on this. And, um, you know, it, it's a big piece of what benefits administration is about. So, all right, so let's move on. So what are some of the other things that brokers do for employers or should be doing for employers? So one of the things that gives me joy in my job is to educate employees. And sometimes I see them nodding their head like they're getting it. Other times I see them <laughs> nodding off. They're asleep. But, you know, when I see an employee nodding their head like, oh, that's what the in-network out-of-pocket maximum means, you know, that gives me joy in my job. And so, um, again, it's the one time of year we're typically able to get in front of employees, whether it's through a webinar or an in-person presentation to convey those benefits in an easy-to-understand format. And, um, I, I, you know, it's always neat meeting the employees um, year to year and, and being able to do that. You know, it also allows me, they, they're able to see a face, um, hear a voice, and know that as a broker I act as a mediator between the employee and the carrier for any claims issues. So if for some reason someone gets a claim, in fact, I just had um, um, a situation where one of, the, one of the employees of the company, they were in the British Virgin Islands and had to be 
um, air, uh, medevac back to the United States for treatment. And one of the local carriers just completely took care of that claim. They paid nice. every bit of it. But um, it was very easy. You know, it was an out-of-network claim. They had an HMO. Of course, emergencies are covered out-of-network on an HMO plan or any plan um, as if they were in-network. And so I was able to get that resolved. And they were extremely grateful that they had me to go to. They were dealing with some other things in their family. And so to be able to give that to me and, you know, I'd be able to come back to them with answers um, is really a nice thing to have. And you get to know employees on a, a more personal level when you have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then on the end, as, as far as the intermediary is concerned, I am also um, act as I get to be um, use my accounting background and help <laughs> on the billing issues. And so, you know, not everyone's perfect. Billing, you know, is kind of a crazy process, but... Um, and the HRIS systems are fantastic, but the carriers sometimes, you know, timing is always an issue because they carriers typically bill a month in advance. And so if there's a billing issue, then I can always go back to the carrier on behalf of the employer and say, you know, hey, there's an issue with this and, and get that resolved on behalf of the employer because they don't want to mess with that. It's just, you know, something else that they have to do that's taking them away from their day-to-day, um, their day-to-day job. Right. So this show is called Best Practices in Human Resources, and um, I'm going to throw out two of them right now. (laughs) So I'm going to take a step back to, Kim, when we talked about being an advocate on behalf of the employees for a claim resolution. I have used Kim on a number of these issues in the past. I thought she was going to fire me as a client at one point. (laughs) But but, um, what's important to remember is that although – the broker is assisting with that, at the end of the day, the employer still owns the problem. So if the employer is directing all of their employees to only talk to the broker and not be not involve human resources, in the, if it's a situation that gets out of hand, then it opens up the employer for potential risk, especially if it's inadvertently starting to trip on uh, an individual's protected rights. So, you know, best practice is something that I've maintained with Kim for a long time, and that is the employee would come to us, we would go to Kim, and we would use Kim as that same intermediary, but there was a direct point of contact only that existed between myself as the HR practitioner and my insurance broker, then to the, then to the, uh, actually, the actual plan people themselves. So, you know, and especially the bigger you get, it's nice to have that service that they can go do these things and the broker can help you enroll people and they can help you set up systems where that's done automatically. Those things are all wonderful. But at the end of the day, if there's a problem, you're still the plan administrator, which means that you own it. And if you're not paying attention to what's going on and something gets out of control, because it could be no fault of anybody, um, it could... You want to make sure that your company is not inadvertently in the way or in the line of fire of compliance violations. If it's a broker that is not really stepping up to the plate, which there are some out there that are like this, um, that action could actually put you in a pretty bad situation. I can tell you town doesn't do that. They're pretty good about this stuff. Um, And then the other thing is, is that when you're dealing with billing and invoices, this is, is, you know, Brenda's tip of the day here. 
whatever you do, if you, you know, it gets a little weird when you've got employees coming on the plan, coming off the plan. You know, if you've got an individual that terminates, um, I just gave counsel the other day to somebody and they're like, well, this point, you know, just left the company and, um, you know, I'm going to withhold payment, partial payment because we shouldn't be paying for that person uh, on the next month invoice. And I'm like, don't do that. Make sure that you pay the invoice in full and then wait till the following month because the insurance carrier will go ahead and make an adjustment and there'll be a credit issue to your account. Now, the reason why I say that is that the carrier expects full payment at the beginning, whenever the invoice is due, okay? Usually it's at the beginning of the month. If it is short, you actually risk your policy closing down, and you can't get it back <laughs> again. <laughs> you'll have to go through the whole process all over again. Conversely, it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. It, it is. Yeah, it's bad, so don't do that, right? Go ahead and, and chase the money, chase the dragon that way, but don't short the invoice thinking that, you know, the insurance company will just make the adjustment. Let the insurance company issue the credit memo inside the following invoice and make that adjustment, okay? So then that way you're not at risk of losing your policy. The other piece of it is is that you also want to make sure that your invoices are being paid on time. And this is a conversation that Kim and I recently just had about another organization is that if there's a consistency to where invoices are not paid in a timely manner and they're constantly late, that care when it comes time for renewal, there's they may not want to quote you. So that's well, kind of pay, if you too. consistently pay it late, you know, eventually there's going to come a time where they cancel your policy altogether, right. and then you're going to have to pay a fee to get it reinstated. Letters are going to go to the employees, letting them know that their policy has been canceled, and then that's just going to create a lot of disruption and panic yep. at the office. You do not want that to happen. No, that is definitely a whiskey-filled day when those things take place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So those are the things that a broker can do for employers. Now let's talk about what what can employers do to work together with their broker for their plan and for the things that they that they want to get accomplished. What, is, like, what can employees, employers do to assist their brokers? One of the things I think that employers, I don't think employers actually understand what brokers do altogether. Um, and Which is part of the thing. reason you're here. <laughs> exactly. So behind that? behind the curtain where That's the wizard right. is working, um, <laughs> you know, what I try to do with my clients is come up with a timeline. And that's, you know, year-round, not just at open enrollment or renewal or, you know, keep a, you know, a, a calendar going uh, perpetually because there's always something going on. So there's yep. CMS disclosure notices. There's, you know, all kinds of things throughout the year. Um, it could be you have a Form 5500 that needs to be completed yep. if you have more than 100 employees, things like yep. that. Schedule so, D coming up here soon. Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, make a timeline and try to stick to it. Just because there are so many, you know, we're working backwards from the anniversary date of the renewal. And so we're constantly having to meet specific, um, you know, time stamps just so that we can get things done. So um, a couple of things that go on in the background that employers most likely don't see is that we submit different RFPs to the carriers and 
you know, it usually takes them anywhere from five to ten business days for them to get back to us. So that's, you know, a good two weeks there from right. the time that we submit the proposals and they actually send it back to us. Well, then, so just so they know, and so if they've never done this before, an RFP is a request for proposal. A request for proposal, exactly. And that request for proposal, I mean, it depends on how many lines of business the, the group has. It could be that they have life, dental, vision, and medical, and so that means multiple RFPs are going out to multiple carriers. So it does take a while for them to come in and, um, you know, and us to analyze them. So mm-hmm. we've got to get them all in. We, we put them in a spreadsheet. Um, and then I typically take a look, especially on the life and disability plans, you know, get into the details of the proposal, and then usually pick the top three uh, to present to the client. So, and that takes some time, you know, once you analyze all of that, because it is very time-consuming, especially on the life and disability part, to go into all of the details on those proposals. So once we get all of that together, we can go back and either meet with the employer at that time to go over the exhibits or the the analysis, and then once we do that, um, we go back and we can go back to the carriers and say, you know, either before or after the meeting with the employer. To be quite honest, again, I had referenced earlier about the say the the medical carrier that gave us an, a ten percent increase, the incumbent, and then another carrier gave us a three percent increase. Well, I'm going to go back to that incumbent. Carrier and say, you know, look, here's your opportunity. They've been with this particular carrier for, you know, five, ten years and give them the opportunity. Um, number one, it's the right thing to do. Number two, I've built very good relationships with these carriers and they respect me, I respect them, and I certainly want to give them the opportunity to go back to their underwriters to see if they want to keep the business. Um, so, again, then we prepare those exhibits. Um, and when I bring a renewal to an employer, it's not just a spreadsheet and I go here. Um, there are a number of things included in a renewal exhibit, and um, one of them are carrier changes. There are always prescription drug changes. There are different changes in the co-pays and co-insurance for the drugs. The out-of-pocket maximums are indexed every year, so you have to let employers know what those are. A lot of different carrier changes, network changes, you know, so many different things that the carriers change every year that I always like to go over first because then you start getting into the details of the, the rates and the plans and, you know, then you kind of lose that on the on the carrier side. So then I go through the analysis for each line of coverage. Um, we review those. We, of course, always have alternate options, not only within the incumbent carrier, but with other carriers. One of the most important things that I like to talk about in a renewal meeting and at open enrollment are the value-added benefits. Um, Each carrier has um, a nurse line that's either, you know, 8 to 5 or 24-7 where employees can call and speak to a nurse at no charge. Well, that's a really nice benefit. I've used it many times myself, having a son, um, that <laughs> many occasions having a son. But um, <laughs> so, but it, you know, that, you know, that's very, very helpful being able to have access to a nurse at practically any time, and it doesn't cost the employee anything. Right. So that's a really nice benefit to have. You know, and then you have virtual telemedicine. 
you know, you have treatment cost estimators, and that's really helpful for plans that have coinsurance, especially for those plans that, you know, are an, have an HSA or an HRA paired with them. Um, of course, we have legislative changes every year, you know, um, especially on the large group side. You've got affordability guidelines that employers have to meet. And then, of course, there are voluntary benefits. Um, you know, we always, employers are always asking, what can I do to expand my benefit portfolio and it won't cost me anything? I get that question more often than you think, and there are a number of benefits that you can add that don't ask for money out of the employer's pocket. So mm -hmm. you have legal resources, you have pet insurance, you have identity theft protection, you know, and then a number of, you know, policies, you know, accident coverage, whole life you know, cancer, hospital, you know, a lot of different things that you can add. And then, again, we review all of that. The employer is usually exhausted uh, by the time we get done with that. So I'm swirling in different directions at the same time. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Try to do it early in the morning before they get too exhausted, right. early in the week. And, mm -hmm. um, right. Or just have it done over happy hour. That could work, too. But, um, <laughs> but um you know, and then you go back, then the whole negotiation process starts again. You know, what does the employer really want to do once they've taken a look at, you know, this entire packet, you know? Mm -hmm. And and carriers like to bundle products. So if you had, you know, one carrier for dental and you decide you want to offer life and disability, well, several carriers now offer all three, and they'll give discounts, you know, if you bundle it together. So there's, you know, there's a lot of that going on. So. That is, that's a big part. It is. So something I want to throw in here. So a lot of what we're talking about, there's three different ways to insure your company. So there's a fully insured, partially insured, and self-insured plans. And what we are really focusing in on, especially in this show, is the fully insured side of the house. Mm -hmm. When it comes to doing partially insured and self-insured, there's a tremendous amount of analysis that has to go into this. <clears throat> and there should be a decent amount of analysis that goes into fully insured. So, you know, when you're looking at what, when you're going through the the negotiation process, and like Kim mentioned, they do like to bundle things together, you're really going to have to critically think about what all of these things mean and how it is going to impact your employees. And if you're a small organization that is in small market, well, everybody is going to be age banded which means that the older you are, the more insurance, the cost of the insurance goes up per plan, meaning per person, per member, per individual. So it costs a lot more to insure an individual at 45 than it does an individual at 25. <laughs> uh, sometimes a lot more than what you think. And, mm -hmm. um, and it continues to go up. But then when you get into a large market, when you're close to, closer to that 100 employee mark, uh, and that's going to that threshold, you know, may shift to the left um, a little bit depending upon where you are and what the uh, carriers are saying. But once you get into that that size market, the age banding goes away, and it's a unilateral cost. Just it's the same cost for everybody. So one of the things that I've seen is that when you go from when you transition from an age banded plan to a large plan to where everybody's that same number, you're really going to want to take a look at your workforce and find out who's going to be negatively impacted by that. And it's usually going to be the individuals who are younger. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to step up and pay more. 
So, you know, so there's some numeric values that you have to take a look at. Conversely, you're also going to be able to really make the days of those of us who are older <laughs> because <laughs> our benefit costs are going to shrink considerably, right? So, you know, there's some impact there that's going to exist as well. Um, you know, when you're analyzing, should I go fully insured or should I go self-insured? Well, you know what? <clears throat> when you're at that 300, 350, 400 mark, you may save a little bit, maybe, under the self-insured plan. But really, you're going to wind up saving a lot more with a much larger populace doing self-insured. But self-insured also comes with a significantly larger amount of compliance issues that you have to be well-educated on. So it's not like you can just make the snap decision. decision, decision? Oh, wow. Decision? And <laughs> it's really that hard not to make. Come out. I know. <laughs> it's not going to come out. It's not like you can just snap your fingers and then bounce easily from one to the other. And once you are self-insured, to get back into a fully insured plan is also very challenging as well. And so this is this is one of those things that when it comes to an employer, this is a time suck, but it's an important one because it, it there is so much to look at. And if you're just looking at the numbers and you don't fully understand how the out-of-pocket expenses impact your employees and if that's something that's financially feasible, and you're just making quick and snap decisions, guarantee you your competitors will probably have something different, or your employees may look for other plans, uh, businesses that have plans that are better, um, especially if they're paying a lot of money for insurance programs. So that's just that's just a little nugget to keep inside your hat. You know, she and I have talked about this a lot. And then there are things that you can do in the process, and we learned not too long ago, that you can request. So you can change your percentages. You can put in requests to adjust the out-of-pocket expenditures. You know, can those amounts go up or down? And, you know, you'll actually see differences in uh, the actual rates come back. But you don't want to spend a lot of time doing this because Kim's favorite phrase <laughs> is... Sharpen your pencil. There you go. There it is. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> if you keep pushing your brokers like okay well I want this and I want this first off it takes a lot because it's not the it's not the plan representative that's making these numbers happen it's the analyst behind the scenes and so when you get into this time of year when all of these things are starting to go on and you know those pl- the not the plan administrators excuse me the plan representatives are putting in multiple requests at some point in time the analysts are going to shut them off and say, "No, we're not reevaluating this. This is this is what it is. This is yeah, what the it underwriters is." Have, some of the carriers have come to us and said, "You know, our underwriters will underwrite one time. Right. So this is your chance. What right. do you want? I need it all up front, and then yep. I'll go to bat for you and get you the best rate. But I I'm doing this one time. Yep. And Make so, it count. And that's yeah, exactly. Yep. So. You know, there is room on the table. And the other thing is that if you think that you can go to another broker because the broker that you're currently talking to isn't able to get you the rate, well, guess what? <laughs> That's not going to happen either because the, your agent of record is the one that has full access to negotiate for you on your behalf. The only thing that another brokerage firm can do is submit a request. They'll get the same information. They can't negotiate 
even though they may try and get other carriers involved, but they're going to try and put a different angle and different spin on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not like you're buying a car where you're looking at a black Toyota that is this year, and then you're going somewhere else to look for a black Toyota of the same year where you can negotiate prices and rates. But this industry does not work that way. Your agent of record has full disclosure of every piece of activity that you've got going on because they are the agent on record with those with that carrier. So if you have an if you have a Blue Cross Blue Shield plan, another competing broker can't go in and negotiate on your behalf because there's an agent on record already. Did I explain that right? You did. Yeah, I got a gold star for that one. You do. <laughs> so excellent. <laughs> so if you put so if you're wanting to put stuff out to shop. That's fine. You can just understand you're not going to get a better rate from the same carrier. You're going to get that same rate. So they're going to try and shop a different carrier and try and compete with what your broker on record or your agent on record has actually got in hand. And if you're in the the 1 to 50 market, if you have fewer than 50 employees, the rate is the rate is the rate. So there's no negotiating because of the Affordable Care Act. Exactly. And – no broker in their right mind would even attempt to actually provide you in a quote of a plan that is not ACA compliant. Right. I don't even think either. that's possible. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. I mean, the only, if you're under 50, there are carriers that will do level funding, and that you could potentially negotiate with. But if it's just a straight-up ACA plan, those rates mm-hmm. are fixed. Right. Right, right, right. Okay. So what else? So good call out there. So what else can employers do that help make the relationship go well, well and the efforts between them and the broker? What else? So one of the things that I always get pushed back on every year is a census. I need a census to shop. Because <laughs> it's like, so much fun to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and, and some employers, depending on, you know, what type of payroll system they have, um, you know, it's easy to pull. It's very right. easy to pull a census, you know, I need this information. And it's, you know, it's their age, you know, their date of birth, their gender, their salary, their job title, their zip code, you know, and their dependents. Mm-hmm. You know, especially on medical plans, dental and vision, especially medical, um, you know, dependents make up a lot of claims. And so carriers are starting to go down to a dependent level census so that they know exactly who is on the plan. They want to know who's currently insured. We also need to know who is eligible. So we ask right. for all eligible employees. So, for example, some carriers I can go in and pull a census, but it's only the people who are currently enrolled. You know, there are employers, you know, I would say just about every employer probably has employees who are on their spouse's plan. They could, in this area in Hampton Roads, we have a lot of employers that have employees on TRICARE. Um, so there are a number of different things that, you know, a lot of people that are eligible but are not enrolled in the plan. So we, we have to make sure that we clarify all eligible employees. And that and so, can also mean if somebody is on Medicare, that is, is covered under Medicare, they're still eligible. So just they because eligible. they may right. So just because they may be enrolled in a Medicare plan doesn't mean that you can have that you can like pull that information off or not have that submitted as part of the quote 
Because that's a violation right there. That's illegal. That yes, is you very cannot illegal. incent people right. to come off of the group plan and join Medicare. Correct. So, that so is, that's not a good idea. No, no, not at all. It's interesting because, oddly enough, I had that conversation just the other day with somebody. So, um, you know, and it's a, and you know what? There's no harm, no foul in asking about that stuff because, you know, right. everybody's trying to find a way to make this the smoothest, easiest, and cost-effective process because, let's face it, payroll and benefits are usually interchangeable between the first and the second line on any expenditure report. In a company, exactly. we're we are the most. When I say HR doesn't contribute, we take money. That's what we do. We're really <laughs> good at it. We're we're great at spending it. You know, we don't bring it in, we spend it. But exactly. But so that means that you know, through some hard work, you definitely want to make sure that you're you know conducting the appropriate analysis. Right. Absolutely. Right. And that you know, for example, um, you know, for shopping life and disability we are going to ask for salary information. And a lot of employers mm-hmm. don't like to, to give that information, but fine, don't include, you know, a name. You know, employer uh, carriers don't need to know names. Um, but we do need salary information because if you have a life insurance policy that's three times your salary, they try to come up with, you know, a maximum. You want to get the most, you know, money for, you know, bang for your buck, basically. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to fit in, you know, how much is the highest paid person? Are we able to get them three times their salary or are we capped at, say, $300,000? We're going to need to know that information. We don't need to know who makes what, um, but the carriers need to know how much that range is. And the same thing for disability. If you're, if, you know, most short-term and, and long-term disability plans are 60% of your income. Well, what is that income? We need to know, you know, how much people make so that we can get the most, ask for the most money so that, you know, if someone does go out on disability that they can pay their bills. Mm -hmm. So that's a very, very important part of it and job title. So when it comes to, you know, especially disability, they want to know job titles. What do these people do? Because insurance is all about risk and they want to make sure that they, you know, underwrite the rate based on the risk of the group. So that's yep. a very important thing. Absolutely. Is there anything else that employers can do to help this process and really be part of it? Um, to be, just to, to, to um, help us on the back end, if we, you know, renewal decisions, a lot of times people put this decision off and put it off because it's a lot of money, they don't want to deal with it. But there are a lot of things that have to go on once that decision is made. So there's the build-up to actually having the meeting with the employer, the renewal meeting to go over everything, and then once that decision is made, then we hit the ground running again. So it's really a two-part process. Mm-hmm. Um, so once that decision is made, um, it could be that the group has an online enrollment platform. It could be our own TFA Edge. It could be Employee Navigator. It could be Plan Source. Um, it could be a number of online enrollment systems um, that we we actually offer at no charge. That's my little commercial. But um, <laughs> you know, but those do have to be updated. Some take mm-hmm. some of those platforms take more time than others. But we have to set up everything on the back end. So we could potentially be setting up new plans, new employer contributions, could be a new payroll cycle, could be a new class. We could have have one group that has four different classes. They all get paid 
their employer contribution is different. So you have to go in and make sure that all of that is done on the back end. Right. Um, one of the other things that we do for our groups, um, each group has their own customized website. So you may not have an online enrollment system, but you do have a website that has all of your plan information, all of those compliance notices, um, links to the carriers, plan documents, all of that information is out there. In fact, we can even, um, there's a section that says company documents. So we could put your employee handbook out there. We can put your PTO request out there. We can put your holiday schedule out there. So we like to make that one-stop shopping um, for, for all of our groups. But, you know, we do have to update those benefits. Of course, um, if you're over 20 or more employees, you have a COBRA administrator. That COBRA administrator is going to need the information so that those members who are on COBRA have the same opportunity to enroll just as yeah. an active employee does. So whether it's our company, Beneflex, that does the COBRA administration or if it's a third party, we need to be able to communicate those rates in a timely manner to that administrator so that those employees have the option to enroll. Yeah. And something else, too, that came across my mind while I was listening to you is that, you know, not everybody, it would be great if the entire United States came and called you. It probably wouldn't. <laughs> but, that you know, Kim was talking about the different types of uh, technology that companies can utilize through their broker or may be offered to where open enrollment is now digital rather than paper manual stuff, right? But right. there's one other piece that's part of this process is that when a company determines that they want to use electronic open enrollment, if it's a brokerage firm that has what's called EDI, um, which is an electronic data interface, meaning that, that that software connects with the carrier, that also takes time to set up and test as well to make sure that the information is being transferred to the carrier the carrier receives it, acknowledges it, and sends the information back to, you know, whoever that database administrator is for that particular software to make sure that that connectivity is working. So that that's also another piece to this because if your open enrollment or if your new employee enrollment is botched, holy cow, you've got a lot of backpedaling to do to fix that. And most insurance companies won't balk at, trying to solve a late enrollment, especially if it was a connectivity issue. But the bigger question is, why would you even want to go through that? So, um, you know, so that's another piece to this as well. Exactly. It's, it's, it's really crazy. But, yeah, it's very, very important that all of that is done on the front end right. so that on the back end, when we transmit that information to the carriers, that it is done correctly the first time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, and one of one of the other things, the big preparation is for meetings. So, how once you've gone through this entire process, how do you convey this information to your employees? Do you want to do it in person? Do you want to do it by webinar? So, typically, either way, there's an open enrollment presentation that's involved. So, we discuss the plan changes. We go through all the plans, all the value added, you know, and what you need to do for open enrollment. So. There's that presentation that has to be updated. And then, you know, we hope that most of our groups go through some type of online enrollment. But if not, we have a lot of small groups that, you know, maybe 5, 10, 20 employees. Um, and they want to have a meeting in person, and we do the paper route, which is completely fine. 
Um, but there are packets that have, you know, there's material that has to be printed and then placed in the packets, and I like to customize them, so we make sure <laughs> that, you know, we're able to do that for our group. And um, because this is the one time of year that we can get in front of them and let them know about their benefits, and then it quickly happens, you know, two, three months down the road. Oh, I remember in the open enrollment meeting you said this, and I don't remember exactly what you said. Well, here we go. Let's talk about it, and let right. me help you walk through it. So a lot of times this information doesn't mean mm. anything to anyone until they actually have to use the plan. Mm-hmm. So, But it is interesting. I, you know, Like I said, I go back to the, the nodders. Are they nodding off because they're asleep, or are they nodding off because they get it? You know, <laughs> I get both. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to throw this one on the table. It's also important to have your employees submit their forms on time, and that means that it's if you're a small company, it's easier to manage. If you're a larger company, like some of these larger companies, they'll be like, hey, you didn't submit it on time, too bad, so that, because they have to draw that line in the sand. Smaller companies tend to be like, okay, well, you missed it by a day. We'll get it in. Well, that's, a, you know, that's up to you. It's not necessarily fair to the employees. Uh, because, you know, we live in a world of what you do for one, you do for all kind of a thing. So you want to be careful about that because you don't want any disparity there. But, you know, what, tell, them, tell them why it's important for a broker to get forms online. Do it now. Do it now. It was a little bossy, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Go get them, Kim. <laughs> but, no, it's, you know, the carriers, um, the carriers have a lot of things to do on their end before – ID cards go out. So um, if you're if we're implementing um, new coverage or we're moving to a new carrier, there's a lot of things that the carrier has to do on the back end. They have to set up the shell of a company, and then underneath that shell, they have to put all of the employee information. So they need, you know, a good at least 15 to 30 days on the on the to, to be able to do that. The absolute deadline we have is 15 days before the first of the month um, of the effective date. So, for example, for September 1st, and a September 1st effective date, our last day to submit everything was August 15th. Well, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, we're keep, that's why that timeline is so important because we're, we're always, you know, going backwards, having to work backwards towards the anniversary date of the plan. So, Getting all of that paperwork together, whether it is, you know, through an HRS system or paper, we have to get that done very, very quickly. Um, or, you know, just plan ahead. And, you know, hopefully we have enough time to plan ahead. That's why it's so important to get that renewal decision in a timely manner so that we have enough time to prep um, and get in front of those employees so that they have enough time to make an educated decision, you know, either by themselves or, you know, at home with their spouse and their family so that they can, um, you know, make that budgetary decision um, as to what is best for them. Because bottom line, by the first of the month, everybody's got to have their ID card. They panic if they don't. I'm not covered. Oh, my ID card. Oh, my gosh, yes. And, you know, my favorite is is that when when you're able to negotiate a two-year rate, and when you get to open enrollment, ID cards are the one thing that people will lose their brain on. They will not remember what ones they are supposed to have, what they did with the ones that they do have. They won't remember that the ones that you said hang on to, don't destroy because they're good for two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have had more 
and, more you know, ID card requests than anything else in my entire HR career. Exactly. You know, and, and the carriers all have mobile apps these days, so it's absolutely wonderful. You don't have to, yeah. you know, have it's a fat easy. wallet and carry around your ID cards. And, um, yeah, but that is probably, that's a very big, large number of phone calls that I receive every year yes. is, uh, yes. I need my ID card. Yeah, or why is, it my, why is it my daughter's name on my ID card? Well, it's because you're in a different plan, which doesn't require that. Your daughter's in the plan. They can still file the claim and, yeah. ID cards are just well, part of the game. Exactly. And then some carriers get a little happy and they send them out a month or so in advance. And then, you know, if the decision is made later and the plan changes, they get two ID cards and they're like, that's right. which one do I use? Which one do I, I use? I so know that's always doing. fun too. Yeah. So ID cards, just be ready for ID cards because it's always an adventure. It just is what it is. <laughs> ID bingo. ID yep. Bingo. There you go. That's funny. Well, cool. Well, listen, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining. I really do appreciate it. And um, even though we're going to – they're going to hear from you in a week. Uh, if anybody would like to get in touch with you, how can people find you? They can find me uh, – they can email me at kimsesser at townbenefits.com. That's K-I-M-S as in Sam, E-T-Z-E-R at town, with an E, benefits.com, or call me directly in my office at 757-390-2051. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for joining. This has just been fantastic. Thank you, Brenda. And we will talk to you in a week. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. Take care. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that segment. And today I want to give a shout out uh, to Greg, who's been listening and making some comments on LinkedIn. Thank you so much. Um, you're regular. You're awesome. And just want to take a moment and say thank you very much for uh, always tuning in. I really do appreciate it. Um, today I want to th uh, do a spotlight real quick on one of our affiliates, uh, Legal Resources. Legal Resources is uh, a really awesome benefit that you can actually provide for your employees. You can work to either have it be an employee or an employer provided benefit and it allows your employees the opportunity to go ahead and seek out legal advice um, under a particular plan with certain types of pricing available and uh, discounts specifically for things like trust planning drafting a will and other you know specific legal requirements and and you guys can check out Legal Resources by clicking on over to bestpractices.work at the website. Click on the affiliates link. Scroll down to you see Legal Resources and link on over. And if you want a formal introduction, by all means, reach out to me and I'll be happy to go ahead and help you guys shake some hands. Um, we've got workshops coming up September, October, November, and December. Uh, this is a great opportunity to get set up for these. We've got My Employee Smokes Pot. This is the second workshop in the month of September coming up September 10th. Now this one is both live and virtual. So um, it, the, the live version though, you have to be 
present for it, you will have an opportunity uh, to do a quick meet and greet with U.S. Navy SEAL Jason Redman. Definitely check out his work. Uh, Jason, short version, um, was a, a career Navy SEAL who actually wound up taking a round in the face on an op and um, lost his nose, lost chunk of his arm as well and he's a pretty awesome guy he's got an incredible message and he's uh it's going to be a great opportunity to go ahead and shake hands with him um hiring ta for talent for employers and workshop we've got a couple opportunities in october coming up we've also got in november kicking off a successful new year and we also have uh in December helping grieving employees through the holidays. That's going to be a, a pretty uh, strong workshop because not every, just about every employer has at least one or a small handful of those individuals. So you can register for these events today at bestpractices.work by clicking on the events link and then just click right on over into each segment and you'll be able to go ahead and register for the event. Now we have new courses that are coming out. They're not quite ready yet for release, but on the HR University by Best Practices, currently we have Understanding Generation Z, which is the newest course that was released. We have Hiring Talent for Employers, and then we also have an overview of the American Disabilities Act for Employers. Now when we release a new course, there is a 5 for 50 special, which basically means that it's 50% off for the first five days after the course is released. The new course discount will expire, but you are able to take advantage of the special offering by clicking on the HR University at the top of the bestpractices.work website and logging in and taking the much needed information. So what's going to be coming down is that we're going to be releasing individual courses and then we're also going to be releasing boot camp bundles as well. We're focusing in on general HR compliance in three different segments or excuse me two different segments no, three different segments. I did say it right. Three, <laughs> three segments. And then we're also doing government contracting as well. So that's going to be a different uh, boot camp segment. But we're going to keep you tuned in when those things are coming up. And then also um, two books that are available for you guys. The Holy Cow, I Have to Complete an I-9 Book. And then Holy Cow, I Have to Talk to My Boss. You guys can also go ahead and purchase those books both online at the website or you can jump onto Amazon and grab them over there as well. So email me your HR questions. This is uh, pretty awesome stuff. I love answering these questions. I get really good ones. I've got another really good one for you guys today. But you can go ahead, jump on the website, click on the podcast link from the menu, and down towards the bottom of the podcast is a submission form for you to actually post your question, which I may read and answer on an upcoming episode. Not to mention when you sign up for best practices and have those things delivered to your inbox, those best practices, you get a little free gift from me as well. So today's question is, do employers actually call your references when applying for a job? Um, I, I again took a question from the perspective of an employee because these are things that they look for. Candidates and employees ask these questions all the time. And the answer is this. So if you're applying for a larger corporation, typically they have a, a background program in place. And that does involve looking up prior contacts as well, prior references, all right? Either work references or personal references, or actually not personal, but professional references or whatever reference that's given. That team tends to roll with that completely. Now, the other piece of it is, is that if it's a small business, I think it's a hit and miss. And I say that uh, with greatest intention that usually it's more of a miss than it is a hit. And the reason why that is, is because most small businesses 
either don't understand the value of doing and checking um, references or they don't understand the importance of it. And it takes a lot of time sometimes because you do have to do some chasing and often you have individuals that are, so, there's such a need to fill that position that waiting for a reference is, there's a perception and the reason why I say this is I hear it all the time. So I'm basing this off of experience as to what I've learned from working with my clients for the last nine years. So what I hear and what I see is people say, I don't have time for this. I need to get this job filled. I'm just going to go for it. So here's the plus, here's the minus to doing it. The plus is, is that when you call your references and you do that background, that thorough background check, you're getting full, complete information on the person that you are hiring. The downside is, is that if there is something going on and if you do not do your due diligence, you could inadvertently find yourself in a position of negligent hiring. And what I mean by this is, is that if that person has a history, let's say of, of violent, domestic violence, but workplace violence, for instance, and you failed to research whether or not that person from a prior employer and get that verified information <clears throat> and something happens in your workplace, you could potentially be held liable. Now, how do you get that information? Well, that's the crapshoot right there, to be totally honest with you. If the prior employer has knowledge of an individual engaging in workplace violence, it is incumbent of them to share that information when another company is performing a background check on a prior employer. Reason being is if they don't and something happens in the new workplace, they are also held liable as well because they did not share knowledge that may have either saved the lives of several people or saved you know the welfare of a particular individual so this is um, not a very highly discussed topic but it is definitely one that is out there and it does loom we don't you know don't hear a lot about negligent hire you hear a lot about you know harassment and work and all those other things right this is definitely something that I think in today's work environment um, or in today's environment where we are seeing an increased number of active shooters. We're also seeing an increased number of them that are suspected to have been terminated. We just had one over the past weekend, which has been unfortunate over in Texas. Um, so this is going to start coming up. There's no doubt about it. So if you are not doing reference checks, please, I beg you, start doing them because you may learn something very valuable that number one could save your business and number two if it's significant, it could also be a protectant of the welfare of your individuals. Now, I'm not saying everybody coming in is like that, but you know what? It only takes one. <laughs> and we are now living and operating in a world that if it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So that's how you protect yourself. One way you protect yourself from negligent retention. And if an employee or a candidate is asking this question, that means that they have something that they're hiding. It may not be as high or as volatile as workplace violence, but mark my words, they're hiding something from you guys, and it's just going to be a, a raging pain in the butt to figure out what it is after they've come aboard and potentially to manage it. So do your due diligence, and um, hopefully, 
hopefully everything will come out for the best for you guys. Now you guys can follow me and find out what is going on in my world on a couple different places. So you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook at Best Practices in HR. You can also find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Brenda Neckvottle. And again, my name is spelled N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke. V is in Victor, A-T-A-L. And once again, you can go ahead and find more information on the bestpractices.org website. Jump on the mailing list and you are going to get the latest and greatest of best practices right into your inbox. And I really want to, again, thank you guys for taking the time to join me today. This has been yet another fantastic episode. I'm really excited about this whole series and um, we are going to continue it with the next week and we're going to have Kim come back and she's going to talk to us a little bit more about preparing for renewals and open enrollment which are two pretty critical aspects of what it is that we do so you guys have a great one and I will talk to you next time take care